0: It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, Jack Reedman, it's wonderful to have you with us here. I salute you. It's always, yeah. Jack and I go way back uh, to LCC Youth Days, even perhaps. I don't know, before we were Thrive. And so, Jack, it's always wonderful to see you, bro. Um, uh, Sharon Glenn, I've just uh, just got a word for you. This morning, I just, um, in prayer time, I just looked over and I saw you and I just got, immediately got the word rudder. And uh, in the book of James, you know, it likens our tongue actually to the rudder of a ship and and the small rudder brings uh, big change. And uh, so the word that I got for you is that um, at times you feel really hidden. Uh, in your ministry, but that the, the, what you're speaking and what you're declaring and, and who you're partnering with and who you're believing in and who you're encouraging is actually bringing significant change of direction and you are such a blessing in our community working at Durham Street Health as a community worker so we um, yeah you' a, you're a real treasure in our community Sharon so we just bless you in your incredible work. Um, also, I just want to, we're just going to show a video right now that I just got this morning from an iPhone from Neville, who's in Africa. What's that, sorry? Cool. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right on. I want you to raise your hand the first, second, or third time. Put your hands up if you believe God healed you. Laid hands on Come you. on. That's it. That's just a short and sweetie. But it's. Uh, <laughs> he said uh, this is a praise report, starting uh, to lose count of those getting baptised in the Holy Spirit. Uh, everyone here standing was baptized in the Holy Ghost with their hands um, raised, had been healed. In another town, it started to rain with a thunderstorm, so I rebuked the rain. All around us, it kept raining, except over their meeting place. Many believed and were healed. So God's doing incredible things. Keep, continue to lift up Neville and Christine. Um, in prayer uh, he's got it's their Sunday tomorrow and he's got numerous meetings happening throughout the day and and the Lord is doing a mighty work through his life so bless you Neville if you're if you're watching. Uh, so this morning, um, this is our fourth week of our Identity Crisis series, and it's been a really powerful series. We've had some uh, great feedback. And so this morning is actually a really, it's another deep dive. This, this morning's topic is not just going to be a passing comment type message, so it's actually going to warrant a little bit of teaching today. I'm not going to be kind of like in preaching mode too much, but I just really want to um, kind of The goal is to unbox the Word of God and what the Word of God says uh, about this topic. So firstly, before we go there, I just want to unbox um, some unhelpful stereotypes. And um, we're just straight into this, right? And this is the, the idea that there is a pure masculine stereotype and a pure female ideal that we must all live up to in our own kind of way, uh, despite how we're wired. And, and the pure male, just to give some definition, is, uh, is strong, assertive, independent, competitive, rational. Uh, the pure female is nurturing, empathetic, sensitive, compassionate, and emotionally expressive, uh, and so the, 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 this is kind of the stereotype, right? This is the stereotype. This isn't the word of God type. This is a stereotype. So when you think about Jesus, um, at the Son of God, and, and he is having this moment where he's grieving over a city. He's grieving over Jerusalem, and he's like, "Oh Jerusalem, I, I would, I'd love to gather you like a like a mother hen would would gather her her chicks and And I would not be challenging Jesus's masculinity to say that in this moment, he is being nurturing, he is being empathetic, he's being sensitive, compassionate, and emotionally expressive. (laughs) A couple of women in the Bible who totally defied the stereotypes in the Old Testament and and the cultural expectations for women were Deborah and Jael. And this is found in Judges chapter 4 and Deborah, you know, you know the story. She's like a prophetess uh, and, and a judge and jail. They're all in this one chapter in Judges 4. And, and there's a story that goes on. Anyway, I'm not going to go into the details, but jail, she closes out this story as a warrior as she drove a tent peg through Sisera's temple. <laughs> Man. And I'm not challenging femininity, right? If I was to say that these women were being strong, assertive, independent, competitive rational woman in this moment. The Bible just does not support gender stereotypes. The the masculine and the feminine has range within all of us, and it doesn't mean that you're in the wrong body because you don't fit the non-existent, perfect male or female type. Let's just... This is a little icebreaker there for you. Just... (laughs) limited time today. Uh, my message is, uh, is is about woman expressing the image of God. And I'm not going to try, I'm going to try, sorry, and not get myself into too much trouble here. And I'd never pretend to, that I completely, partially, or in some areas remotely understand the world of woman. All right. <laughs> Just note to self, right? Uh, so I've got some sources here that come into play. I've got N.T. Wright. He's an Anglican bishop and scholar. I've got the Bible Project. Tim mackey and uh, John Collins are great guys. And so my aim today is to look at the big picture of women as leaders and pioneers within the context of the Bible. Um, so here we go. I've got four chapters that we're going to go through. I'm going to be speaking fast because I've got a lot of content, to write. So just kind of like just slow down the message later if you want to re-listen to it. Chapter 1, this is rediscovering God's original intent for woman. Genesis 1, 27, we're like on repeat, this is the fourth week where we say this, right? So God created mankind in His image. God, God had the intent of creating something so profound that, that would reveal the very tangible nature of his glory, his image, his identity into the world. And these, these ones needed to bear his glory. You know, there, there aren't any less glorious aspects or dimensions to who God is, right? God's not lukewarm and he's not on the fence about who he is. He doesn't have self-esteem issues God is only fully glorious. <laughs> There's no lesser part of his glory, right? In Genesis 1:27 goes on in the image of God he created them male and female he created them God bless them and said to them <laughs> So many thems so many then, be fruitful, increase in number, fill in the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea. This is what he said to them. Yeah. And this is the beautiful first mention of people, of them, in, in, the, in the Bible, and it shows the equality of men and women revealing the image of God. Two genders, not just a male thing, not just a female thing, and he made them equally in his image. Neither of them is slightly dimmer than the other. <laughs> There's no lesser part of God's image of His glory. So in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 is, is more of this poetic overview of the creation narrative, right? And we can see Adam and Eve together. And then in Genesis 2, though, the text moves from this poetry type of literature to to more of a, we start running in real time and we see that no suitable helper is actually found for Adam. But you've read Genesis 1, right? And you're like, oh, you've already done that bit. But we're slowing it down now when we're teasing out the actual... The, the, the chronological order here of, of Genesis. And so I want to lift the lid in just this first part of Genesis uh, as we look at the original intent for women um, and, and and lift the lid on a couple of boxes that women may have felt contained within. And so the first uh, box or myth we're going to bust here is Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him, and uh, amplified, a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart who, um, who is suitable and complementary for him. The ISV, this really ramps it up. I'll make a woman to be an authority corresponding to him. The, the helper um, word in Hebrew is ezer, and it's, it's commonly translated as helper in English in this in this context, but it's more accurately conveyed as the word deliverer, And it's most often used to describe God in a military context, all right? So David in Psalm 70 uh, verse 5, David is using Asa when he's uh, reflecting on being chased by his enemies. He says, come quickly to me, O God, you are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not... Delay God be my deliverer, be my help, deliver me in this moment in Exodus eighteen as as um, Moses is naming one of his boys, actually he says, the, the God of my father was my help, my Azar, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So women first up, just out of the gate, uh, if you 've just thought that you're just here just to help men. I just want you to lift the lid on that. I mean, it's a part of the complementary nature of what it means to be actually married or to be following a leader or anything like that. Don't just become super unhelpful. Uh, you know, it's not what I'm saying, all right? That'd, just be, uh, that'd be contrary to the word in other ways, but the, the helper in the Old Testament is not just a subordinate, uh, but one who may be an equal or sometimes even a superior to the one who is being helped. Helper is a very weak translation, and perhaps it should read, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a deliverer for him. Uh, Box number two, we just want to lift the lid on right now in God's original intent for women. Genesis 2 verse 21, so the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. Everyone say deep sleep. Deep sleep. This had to be deep, right? Whoa. He's got to be under some serious anesthetic here. Maybe he was donk. Anyway, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place of the flesh. And when the Lord God made woman from the rib, he had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. So the English uh, translation uh, uses this word um, and it translates the Hebrew. He took the, he took one of the, the man's ribs and, and voila, you have woman, and, 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 and translations insert the word rib here, but let me just say it is a poor translation of the original Hebrew. It's not what that word means as a specific. It's an interpretive tradition that translators were familiars, familiar with. Let me explain that. So Hebrew, the word for uh, rib is selah, and it's an architectural word that most often is used to describe the side of something significant, the side of a building. It's, uh, it's a standard word in this day for side or half. So Selah is used when the Bible is describing, you can look into this, the sides of the Ark of the Covenant, the structure of the tabernacle, the sides of homes, or even the side of the hill in the Bible, all right? It's significant. And it, and it's a, it's so it's used in, in de- defining a significant portion or aspect of what is being described. So the Hebrew language it doesn't just mean that God just you know, he just kind of reached in there and he Tweep. oh we'll just take a little bit of that rib off there uh, Adam I um, hope it doesn't hurt too much. It, it, he actually took one of Adam's significant sides. And there's no other reference in the Bible where the word selah is used to describe a body part or a rib or anything like that. So when when God was taking a part of Adam, he was taking a significant portion out of him. And maybe he was even taking the better half, some of you women would say. Amen. Uh, As um, Deb said last week before... The fall uh, and sin, women and men were fully alive, expressing God's image in the divine order. And wasn't that a powerful message? Like, you've got to catch up on these messages if you haven't heard them. And, and that man and woman were equals coming together in one body, soul, and spirit uh, as one to rule uh, as shepherds over creation. Um, And however, this divine order, we know the story was corrupted when sin entered. Chapter 2, chapter 2 the corruption of the divine order as Adam and Eve brought into the deception of the enemy to eat from the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God made it clear to them, you know, on the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely die. That's, you know, something you want to stay away from, but they bought into the lie. And so three really significant consequences were actually pronounced, uh, when this covenant, the original covenant, the Adamic covenant was broken and, and, um, And I want to say, don't don't give up right now because we've got some good news ahead. But this is is what happened in, in verse 16 of Genesis 3 to the woman. God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So the first one out of the block there is, pain and childbirth, and it can also mean difficulty in conceiving children as well. And so the second one uh, is that, women, you would be subservient to your husbands. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and we, uh, you will eat the plants of the field. So man's kind of sentence is... Uh, it's a curse, actually. Uh, woman's doesn't get the curse, but the man's get this curse, and the ground's cursed. And we know that Jesus wore the, uh, the crown of thorns uh, and bore the curse, but I'm jumping ahead of myself. So anyway, for, from that moment, mankind struggled under the weight of this curse and the burden of sin and the consequences of the fall. And then Jesus enters the world. And you've got to remember two thousand years ago in most cultures women were treated as second class citizens they were not allowed an education they were considered a commodity to their husbands so the next chapter is redeeming woman's identity is this all right yeah. we're just we're trucking through this today galatians 313. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. He he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Redemption definition, pay money to clear a debt, to make amends for, to give compensation or atonement, an exchange, a a coupon, a voucher, or a trading stamp for good, for a discount, or money, you know. it's like someone who wants to, um, you know, bless you at your birthday, and mine's coming up in a few weeks, uh, and you get a voucher for nom noms, and you're like, I didn't have to pay for that. Thank you. And I'll be like, Well, how did you discern that I like nom noms? Redemption. You redeem the voucher. So Jesus came and He redeemed something, so that we could receive something greater. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, 20. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is interesting, all right. So under the slave system of the Roman world, there was this possibility of set being set free by a benevolent master, but but a more common uh, transaction would have been for a slave to be sold to a new master, and that's what Paul is referring to when he says that we are bought with a price. <laughs> we are bought with it; we're no longer our own. We're actually under a new master. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the price for us, so we didn't have to pay it. The debt's been cancelled. We're redeemed from the curse. We it no longer have his authority over us. Jesus redeemed us. He reinstated us back into our. Righteous identity. Water break. Colossians one nineteen. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things, reconcile to Himself all things. That's, that's big. Reconcile to Himself all things, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Not only has He redeemed us, but He has reconciled all things to himself. So let's just revisit these three uh covenant, you know, breaking consequences and pronouncements and light, you know, that God made back in Genesis in light of being redeemed and reconciled to Christ. Let's think of it this way. When was the last time you guys looked out the window and you're like, "Hey, look at the weeds in our garden." Yes, let's leave them alone. We are cursed. We can't touch those weeds. It's a sign of God's sovereign will over our lives. Don't keep. Don't no. Don't you don't get, you keep that roundup away. If you take the roundup to those weeds, you are breaking covenant. You are breaking the word. We don't. We don't point to our our wives. Um, in childbirth, when are under excruciation pain, and say, "This is the Lord's will for you that you would be in pain." <laughs> you would do what Jesus does, would do, right? Okay. Jesus and the Father are not working in competition to each other. Jesus would empathise. He would show compassion. He would pray for healing. He'd go, "Get the anesthetist come and I don't know." <laughs> anyway (laughs) we're going to land it on this one in the same way we don't celebrate the man who is forcing his wife to be subservient and ruled by her husband a woman who is being ruled over and subservient to her husband is not living in the divine expression of the image of god if the husband is demanding the rule of his wife then he isn't living in the divine expression of the image of god either Jesus reconciled all things to Himself on earth and in heaven by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see Him activating the spirit of reconciliation as He ministered to women, as He invited them in to what was at the time a world of men. In Luke 10, when Jesus An example was in the home of Mary and Martha, and Mary, shock horror, is not in the back room where women should be making sandwiches. She is in the front room with all the boys, all the men, with all the disciples, which means that she is becoming a learner. She is in the company of the disciples under the rabbi, learning to become a rabbi herself, perhaps. Jesus said to Martha, she's chosen what's right. Chapter 4, the empowered identity and call of woman. In regards to the role of woman in leadership and teaching, we need to consider the first light of day, first of all, at Easter, the resurrection. And there is great significance to the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Without the resurrection, remember, they didn't have iPhones. Oh, let's just catch this one. What did I say? Without the resurrection, there'd be no Christianity. And these witnesses were women. And remember, within that culture, the idea of the most important message being given to women was so uh, uh, counter-culture-opposing. I got my words wrong here. N.T. Wright says, as a historian, no one would ever make up that story. The first person to be instructed to tell other people that Jesus is alive, he has resurrected, was Mary Magdalene, and you can read that in John 20. All Christian ministry flows from the announcement that the crucified Jesus rose from the dead. This is a cultural revolution. And yes, up to then, Jesus had chosen 12 men, and all of them had let him down in various ways. Um, (laughs) Just, you know, side note, they weren't right, of course. And, and he now transfers that this is now what it is to, to be a new creation, humanity, by saying this extraordinary, subversive culture, counterculture message, the best, the best people to take this message to the world are women. Jesus could have said to Mary, hey, can you just go get Peter? Uh, one of the boys, so that they can go and tell the world of this good news. And um, some theologians, you know, would frame Mary Magdalene as uh, the apostle to the apostles in the news of this resurrection. And so the old world, the old covenant, the old ways um, ended with the cross and a new world began on Resurrection Sunday. There are a few um, scriptures in the Bible that say that women should not preach or lead, and they have been used to disqualify so many women from ministry. And um, you've, you've got to kind of look at context, all right? And I could open that, that one up. I'm not going to open that one up today. If, if you've got questions about this message today, and about especially about what I'm going to say next— then I've got a, a friend who is studying a postgraduate theology degree at um, Elf Crucius, and he opens up Second Timothy, which is perhaps the most confusing chapter in the whole Bible. All right, so come in. If you are interested in engaging with this topic further, he's happy to come out and we'll do an evening together to open it up some more. If you're like, nah, what you said, Glenn, sweet, uh, then, <laughs> sorry, that's a bit cash, uh, then. <laughs> We'll just roll with it, but there is there's a deeper dive. You can do this. So, um, you know these verses though that were uh, have been a disqualification for so many are, uh, are sent to specific churches largely because of the context of what was happening within the churches and and and, there, and, and so what's going on in their context has become descriptive um, of, uh, of of was descriptive of culture and not prescriptive for. Or women, uh, because it wouldn't make sense with the fact that um, the, the the Bible's full of women teaching men, and uh, Jesus was instructed by his mother for one thing. And there are 800 verses in the Bible that have been inspired by the words of women. And, and so, are we are going to say now that men can't teach those other 800 verses in any way? And when we look at the whole Bible, we have these powerful women anointed and appointed by God. We've got we're going to go through these. Uh, Miriam, a prophet of the Lord, is leaving the building. <laughs> so many things converged in that moment (laughs) my randomness leading the way deborah a prophetess and judge judges 4 verse 4 anna the prophetess of the new testament uh in the new testament luke uh, 2 36 junea an outstanding among the apostles romans 16 verse 7 And actually, if you look at that, many scholars agree that she's likely a a witness at Jesus' resurrection as well, which is really interesting. Priscilla, she is a teacher in Acts 26. Phoebe, a minister. I've got all those references up there, eh? Uh, And a deacon. Huldah is a prophetess. And then you think of the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, and she tells everyone that Jesus is a Messiah. She doesn't just go with all the women and say, hey, sorry guys, you can't, you don't know that, you can't know this. I'm a woman, so I can't. She's like, I'm the evangelist that's going to go out. And so I love, and I love also that Jesus' first recorded miracle was at his mother's request and his apparent reluctance, remembering he's a 30-year-old man, right? He's not like 13. And he said, you know, he said when she's like, hey, sort out the wine, you know. And uh, he's like, but my time has not come. However, he does what, he, what she asks. Um, and so I want to acknowledge in, the, in this context and this message today that I have a personal bias. Because we all have a personal bias, right? We all come from a bias of um, our background. And my bias comes from uh, Pastor Lynn Fru. So, yeah, I know, right? Through Lynn, so many leaders in many different uh, movements have been impacted and, you know, uh, encouraged and challenged and raised up right across this nation because of Lynn's ministry. Uh, she 's had such a profound impact on my life, and i 've seen so many guys, men in this church, raised up and uh, around New Zealand serving the Lord and the world today because of lynn 's um, ministry, her desire to be counterculture, and to just to go yes god 's called me i can't, i can 't I can't deny my call i can 't walk away from my call. The Holy Spirit said this to me, so I just want to thank you, Lynn. I want to honor you for being just amazing. As another just another overview and thought uh, around here, just consider Proverbs thirty-one. Um, this is not a woman hiding away in a kitchen, and there's nothing wrong. I want to say that as well. If you love that lane and you want to serve and be in the kitchen, and there's just a part of what who you are, that is not. This is not like against just what it means to be an amazing homemaker, because this is important as well. So but this, is not, this is not a woman, though, who's hiding away in the kitchen. She is a strong female entrepreneur businesswoman who finances her husband into local politics, fulfilling her and her husband's call. Um, she's managing the house and running an independent business. And I've heard some religious nonsense recently that men having headship in the home means that they must control the finances. It's just not like it's a partnership, right? It is a total partnership. Ephesians 5, we could look at this whole chapter. I'm just going to jump in and take one verse from it as well. So I realize it has context and a whole lot around it, but we're going to land this today's message on this thought. Hebrews 5.25, husbands love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And here's my thought, here's my landing, that Christ didn't give himself up to the church so the church could just stay locked in quiet submissiveness. He gave himself so the church, this is his bride, the church, male and female, married and single, would have a voice to express and experience the love of Christ. Woman, whether you are married or single, I just want to say don't hide your light. Don't hide from your call. Let the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shine out of you. Give volume to the testimony of Jesus that is in your life. Learn to teach if you're passionate about teaching. Go in the strength and the authority that Jesus has given you. Like you are not second class in the scheme of who we are, male and female created in the identity of Jesus Christ. I wonder if we could all just stand. We'll just have the band up right now in this moment. psalm 34 verse 18 says the lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit and we're not just praying about how just going to close this word today just the words crushed in spirit came to me and the word for you today if you are Man or woman, let's just bring this into ownership. That God wants to heal. He wants to be close to you. If you've got a crushed spirit, if you've got a if you've been belittled, devalued, dishonored by men, specifically women. He wants to reinstate your identity, your call your value and your worth he wants to give you dignity again to be yourself crushed in spirit he wants to restore you he wants to restore and breathe life into what has been crushed You're safe in His hands. You're safe in the hands of Jesus Christ. Where shame for being a woman has come around you, shame off you in Jesus' name. Shame off you. Shame off you. And may His glory come upon you. May His goodness surround you. May His purpose and call come within you. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you for this moment right now. We just thank you for women, for the woman, for our woman in this place. Men, let's just clap for our woman right now. Let's just honour our woman right now. Let's honour every woman, married, single. We just honour you, woman. We honour you.